A mouse lived in a windmill in old Amsterdam. A windmill with a mouse in, and he wasn't grousing. He sang every morning, "How lucky I am living in a windmill in old Amsterdam." <laughs> Atlantic nitpicking about Doctor Who. From four grown adults who should probably know better. From four grown adults who are stuck in lockdown. We're not afraid to say it like it is. Or the word bollocks. www.dirtyhoers.com. Follow us on Facebook at Dirty Hoers. If you like that kind of thing. We're also on Twitter. Deal with it. Geronimo! Fantastic. L on C. Cock. With your hosts. Number one assistant. Terry Lightfoot. Oolong Sputter Sputnik. Tardis Kitty. Miss Tabby. Lord President Sen. Super. Right. Everyone got a drink? You're going to fucking need one. <laughs> <laughs> Greetings, weary travellers. It's us again, probably without trousers, dangerously under-medicated, but uncharacteristically banging another one of these things out in record time so that you have something to listen to in the bath or while staring longingly out of a window, wistfully thinking of your life before lockdown. This time, we're heading back almost 40 years to December 1983 and the Peter Davidson serial arc of infinity. This is the first one in the 20th anniversary year, and it feels like it's been about a year in the story since Time Flight, which was at the end of the last season. Looking at Nyssa, she's pleasantly blossomed by a good five years. Um, <laughs> I know, right. Or it's actually probably about 50 years, judging by the number of audios Big finished as crowbarred into this gap. Uh, four episodes, 25 minutes each. Sarah Sutton, Janet Fielding, yada, yada, yada. Written by John Brin, who also did 29 episodes of All Creatures Great and small and 23 episodes of heartbeat and that's all you need to fucking know he also did warriors of the deep and keeper of Tracken, which sort of shares some of the same icons and themes major villain returning useless counsel that kind of shit directed by ron jones who should probably know better eric seward as script editor and produced by jnt 100 minutes of birds with lasers running around amsterdam antipodean backpackers a fast refresher on gallifrey and judicial system stroppy guards and stroppy assistants Terence, would you please explain our rating system? I'll give it a shot. (laughs) Our rating system is based on 1970s, you know, kind of like Beretta era, streets of San Francisco type stuff, uh, hookers. Um, Uh, $50 Hoover is the max you can give one of these reviews. Uh, What else? There's $20 Hoovers, $10 Hoovers, $5 Hoovers. Am I missing something? Free BJ. Free BJ. That's right. Free BJ when it's absolute shit. Okay. Do you know, I actually sent her a whole list of what actually to say. I know. Oh, you did? Wait. In in my email? You replied to one. Yes, I'll do that. (laughs) 
<laughs> did it, oh did it not send or something? Hang on, let me just... No, all I saw was you were saying... You, did it not you, send? You, she fucking replied to it. No, it doesn't... Okay. <laughs> here, here we go. You okay. said yes, you I'm reading this direct. You called to do the rating system, question mark, inverted commas. We rate yeah. these as though they're an escort or a gigolo straight no, out of 70s com right. movies. And you say, no. oh shit, I haven't watched it. And that's, no, it. And that's it. <laughs> I didn't get all that. I guess now I see it now, but it wasn't there before. No, nobody would believe that our on-brand is genuine. No, and yet here we are. Here I we mean, are again. You know. uh, Tabby, would you like to give us a rating first? I'm gonna go with a ten and a five-dollar tip. Okay, I'm gonna go with a free BJ. <gasps> Um, Rude. With a tip, I suppose. The tip being, put your passport somewhere safe, you thick piece of fucking shit. <laughs> you see, you don't think you have to stay in a fucking oh. underground crypt overnight. I think the whole episode is an insult to a classic protagonist and a wasted opportunity, with probably the worst acting in any episode ever, and that includes the fucking McCoy era. <laughs> Well, I was going to say five, so I didn't come off as an asshole, but now I'm just going to go, not even a free BJ. I'm with Tabby. I was going to say exactly a 10 with a $5 tip. Interesting. (laughs) Let's crack on with this then, shall we? I think the first thing that struck me when I started the episode was the pace. They were clearly going for something punchy by cutting from the Omega scene to the scene in Amsterdam, but it was wholly undermined by how slowly everyone was talking and moving. You're right there. This is punchy for the Davidson era. Well, when the Doctor and Nyssa were supposed to be moving in slow-mo to get away from Omega, it just looked like everything else. It was all the same. Maybe it is thrown into sharp relief by the fact that I did stray from the path of righteousness and watched the New Year's Day Doctor Who special this year, but nonetheless it was. So it dragged its feet, which is why I couldn't give it a 20, partly. I loved it when we got started and the melodrama of the camera being placed behind the traitor, so his awesome colour was silhouetted against the light. It really set the tone for the campiness of the Time Lords in the rest of the episode. Obviously, my heart was set racing apace when we finally joined the Time Lords all together in the High Council on Gallifrey. The costumes, come on, they're incredible. The wardrobe department were absolutely killing it. We're absolutely recycling fucking shit from the Tom Baker. (laughs) Good on them, eh? Yeah, we've got the Lord President in his big gold dress, Thalia in her corset looking like a vaguely futuristic version of Queen Elizabeth I. They were all delightful. I did think, though, there was something kind of familiar about the dynamics of the Time Lords in the High Council. It reminded me, I realised, of like a school staff room with all the bitchy scheming and plotting and counter-plotting. Mm. I'm a teacher, as I might have mentioned before, and that, that's just what it reminded me of. And just when you think they've got the receipts, it twists and turns and throws the audience off balance again. Like, And the little cameo of Colin Baker looking super cute. I liked the red leggings and him bearing an ostentatiously beplumed helmet. And he does a good line in sinister inscrutability with his Nazi-esque, I am simply following orders. The mm. um, thing I didn't like so much was the music, but it was quite intrusive. There were lots of close-up shots used in this story with like a ba 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 over the top of them. And yeah, that kind of got in the way a little bit. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Absolute rudeness. <laughs> Of the Time Lords hijacking the Doctor's TARDIS and kidnapping him, I was intrigued by the Doctor mentioning that the recall circuit had only been used twice before. Yeah. Um, War games, for sure. Deadly Uh, Assassin. Deadly Assassin, yeah. 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 The two times before were also the Doctor. (laughs) 
Yeah. <laughs> He's nothing but trouble. I thought there was um, a super sweet moment when the Doctor took the Perspex and aluminium tube ray gun off Nyssa. I loved that. I don't know how much I was here for the Parasaurolophus hiding in the crypt. Though yeah. anything bringing Tegan back on board has to be good, I suppose. Really? I did. The costume was all right, considering the era. It was creepy and gross. The Doctor wrangling with said Parasaurolophus was also very entertaining. I, say, I, liked... I think very 80s, but I did like the look of Amiga. I like the Geiger-esque kind of, uh, you know, and the same with Big Bird. Um, that, that <laughs> little bit. But, you know, they were quite Geiger. Amiga's costume shouldn't have been fucking Amiga in it. I thought Nyssa proved herself. She was interesting. She was useful and resourceful. Um, it's a shame Tegan was just used as bait and that her main lines all involved the words, help me, Doctor. I thought they could have made more of her rejoining the TARDIS at the end of the story as well. Um, or not. It was... Oh. <laughs> what happens in Doctor Who is that there's some opportunity like this where Tegan comes back and she could be coming back and going oh hey I'm a pro at this let me help but mm-hmm. instead just like useless. I did like it when he got to Amsterdam and headed straight for the telephone directory retro searching par excellence and it was obviously something of a treat to have two versions of Peter Davison wandering around even if one of them had got Rice Krispies stuck to his face and the dubbing was a bit on the ropey side. I thought this was entertaining and I enjoyed it I wasn't bored to start off with I've got to say I've got a kind of love-hate thing going on with Davison I like him when I've not watched any of his stuff for like a decade or so <laughs> a pointless beige regeneration his character actually is all the open face naivety and lawful good whatever most of his tenure is pretty fucking pointless and his big finish is a thousand times better than his years under John Nathan Turner the Davison yeah. years are weird they're sort of a transition between for good or bad two of the most memorable incarnations of our favourite time lord not necessarily positive but memorable he's probably more memorable now as he's sort of a part of the revival years with time crash and you know a really strong force in the audios but the davison years are just so well forgettable basically especially as the filling in a baker sandwich and this just made him comparatively bland and boring compared to the doctors either side of him as tabby just intimated the style of the 80s really didn't help it's all long shots of unexciting white rooms and soap opera style scripting with twang fucking 80s synth strings and <laughs> the script supervision I mean lacking consistency and solid structure meaning most of these episodes are kind of hollow and there's that whole overloaded TARDIS full of kids and shit robots and abrasive fucking Aussies <laughs> that just lacks any real direction or purpose and kind of crowds the Doctor out of his own stories to be fair he makes some really fucking bad choices in Travelling Companions so it's partially his own fault anyway we don't even fucking start with this one fuck this set of crap fuck all all 100 minutes of it. <laughs> this, this episode is the reason I failed dry January. Uh, oh, now, sure. Seriously, I fucking adore Amiga. Okay. He's one of the most significant figures in Gallifrey in history. And for me, he was the, one of the most significant figures in my exposure to Time Lords, Care of the Three Doctors. I fucking love the Three Doctors. It's my comfy place. It's one of the earliest sets of episodes I remember watching as a kid. I was like six or seven, something like that. If I can't think of what episode I want, to watch and i need some who it's one of my favorite dvds i've still even got my vhs even 
because I couldn't fucking part with it. It's the only one I've still got. This is the return of the mighty fucking Omega. You can fuck off. I mean, not impressive. To start off with, it's never even discussed. Never mind why. How? Sorry, but as soon as someone says antimatter, anyone who knows Omega knows exactly who the renegade is going to be. But they still that reveal out, despite it only being a reveal. If you actually know who Omega is, so would have picked up on who it was as soon as someone said antimatter. Oh, and you yeah. get a sniff of the panopticon. It's the same with the traitor. The Time Lord Counselor is the traitor. They're like fucking Defense of the Dark Arts teachers. It's so obvious. Um, <laughs> Michael got his voice on the phone to Amiga. That's just like another zero surprise. It's Hedrin. And it's just another failed lack of suspense that we're supposed to give a shit about in this episode. I mean, why is the universe's premier stellar engineer hanging out with a giant fucking chicken? No reason. Some pterodactyl species that the Doctor seems to know all about, but that he doesn't explain. These episodes are just so fucking full of holes and questions that never pay off. Where the hell did he get a TARDIS? And why is it decorated like some sort of underwater spray tan booth? He's um, inside his TARDIS antimatter, but Tegan and her cousin go there, so it can't be. Or is that just his new outfit means he can exist there? And how the fuck does that work if he's antimatter next to a positive matter of his suit? Is that the Infinity Arc? How the hell is yeah. he even alive after he touched Troughton's right. flute and the whole universe got destroyed? This is fucking Amiga, you know? Yeah. Just badly shoot off fan wank. And it could be so much more. Omega deserves better and is much more important than this. I mean, nice new costume, as I say, very Geiger-esque. So is Big Bird. I don't mind Big Bird. Appalling fucking premise. This episode for me is a standout in one respect. It has the distinction, I believe, to have some of the worst acting performances in the entire history of the show. How the fuck did Colin Baker get a role after this? So Nissa, <laughs> underused as ever, standing around in her porn star makeup with her nose fucking stuck in the air. The look on Davison's face when Tegan chooses to stay, he's not fucking acting there, you know. <laughs> that was great. That was and my favourite part of the whole story. The fucking milk-faced dog toy. The lads... <laughs> Tegan's fam, Colin and his mate, are just fucking inexcusable. Especially the guy <laughs> playing Rob, who was so bad yeah. and his character so stupid. I actually said, for fuck's sake, out loud at the screen at one point. <laughs> well, they're not exactly the homage to American Werewolf they were obviously supposed to be. His voice alone made me stabby. <laughs> Never mind his fucking gormless, selfish, slappable little face. <laughs> I guarantee he never worked outside of telesales, which was a fine use for his level of performing arts degree, or fucking kids' parties ever again. <laughs> There's better acting in only a couple of fucking years from Chameleon. His character, <laughs> what, he'd lost his passport and he was frightened of talking to the police. Why? In case they helped him find what it. Yeah, right. yeah. He didn't get help after his mate is kidnapped by a laser chicken, because why? In case his holiday gets cut short. Let's sleep in a crypt because I'm a selfish, badly written bastard with fuck all motivation and I don't have a passport. Sport. Yeah, if he had been a stoner, maybe it would make sense. You know? I know, right? Has he ever even been to Amsterdam before? Allegedly, by his apparent in-depth knowledge of local graveyards, he fucking has. So have I. I've never been wasted enough to lose my mate or my passport. And I nearly fucking died one Sunday morning in a four-man pedal boat from geocaching in a canal while on space cakes and mushrooms. <laughs> <laughs> and I've never slept in a fucking crypt. You have lived a life, haven't you? <laughs> Anyway, this had been the first time we'd been to Gallifrey for a while, and once again, that was something else pointless that added zero to Gallifrey and lore or history. Nothing. Something about... Um, yeah, the no. whole Gallifrey thing is disappointing. Something about pulse loops? 
Nothing, nothing. Just some shouting and sort of lukewarm jeopardy. Grumpy Colin Baker as an ominous portent of shit to come. Um, <laughs> well then. This is the Gallifrey we got next after Invasion of Time. And, you know, that wasn't the visual awesomeness of the Matrix that we were shown in Deadly Assassin or even close. Wobbly blue screen of people floated about uncomfortably oh. on sun lounges. <laughs> it was, was very so widdly. Yeah, what was all the floating about bollocks? Tegan was like, come and get me. And the doctor was like, yeah, okay. Even though I have no idea where the fuck you are in a major european city or what bloody decade you're in yeah i'm straight there how the fuck did that actually work just more poorly realized nonsense about in beige world um (laughs) at at least we got some solid actors on gallifrey to be fair but alas they didn't get any fucking real opportunities or dialogue that wasn't just trotted out for a paycheck barusa barusa must be like into fucking cave diving or skydiving or some shit because he burns through those fucking regenerations and new faces like fucking adric on a free buffet he's impressive (laughs) Every time you fucking see him, there's somebody new playing him. What Fuck. is he doing? How is what he is he doing? <laughs> what is he doing? I'll just touch these two wires together again. <laughs> <laughs> Funny, that's what happened last time. I'll write that down. He's <laughs> <laughs> dying so often. What does he do on his vacation? <laughs> just jumping into lava flows. Ark of Infinity was the actual title. What the fuck was the Ark of Infinity? I have no clue. Right, something about how Amiga got into real space, was that it? I can think of a lot more fucking suitable titles, none of them flattering. And all the just the running up and down the canals, backwards and forwards. Good job Nissa had apparently changed into flats. Up and down, backwards and forwards. Up and down, gotta show the local scenery just to justify the trip. Backwards and forwards, yawny fucking yawn. I have this in the worst excuse for a box set ever. Two DVDs, this, and Time Flight. Um, I don't know what the fuck people could have been thinking. Let's put the two shittest Davisons in one box so people can avoid it easier. I don't know. Anyway, it was cheap. Three quid for the two off eBay. Oddly, lots of extras on this one and reworked special effects. But no docker about Amsterdam hosted by Sophie Aldred is going to save this stack of vanilla horseshit. Um, It's like weak tea that's too milky when you're promised strong black lavazza. It's like the perfect shitstorm of boring story that makes fuck all sense performed by unwashed sock puppets at a fucking school assembly. <laughs> I'd rather lick an unsanitized trolley at Tesco's car park and watch this crap again. Um, <laughs> well, sir. I'm still yet to be persuaded that there's a better Davison episode than Black Orchid, basically. Personally, I think Androzani's overrated and Kinder Doobie Chocker fucking Doobie and Planet of Fire and Snake Dance, that's overrated as well. Anyway... Let's drink to better times. I'm done, uh, or I'll go on all night. Terry! This was so unfair, your hate-filled rant, because there's no way for me to top that, and I can't disagree with anything that you said. I mean, I watched that thing, the rest of it, this morning. I mean, last time I watched it, I watched, like, the first episode, and then I was like, holy shit, I can't continue. I'll just put this off. And then this morning when you sent that tweet, I was like, okay, fuck, I gotta watch it. So here's the deal. At first, I was like, oh, Gallifrey theme, Omega, this might be interesting after all. And then I was like, oh, wait, no, I remember this. No, this is going to be terrible. And it was, it was worse than I remembered it. It was exactly like you said, it was like watery tea. There's nothing there to hang on to or care about. There's the classic Doctor Who running around, which is okay if there's a story for you to hang that crap on. But if there's nothing, the running 
really offers no respite. There's no point for it. You just can't have the patience for it. it this was like brothy soup with no salt. I don't know. Uh, just, and yes, the outfits. I just kept looking at those outfits going, you know, I remember being so thrilled when this was with Tom Baker and the Citadel and everything and they were wearing those outfits and now I look at those outfits and they look old, worn out, crappy materials and I'm just thinking, God, you know, here's the deal. I'm thinking there was no budget. That's the only answer. They were in a hurry. They didn't have time to write the story. When they mentioned the Ark of Infinity, I was like paying extra special attention. <laughs> okay, now they're going to explain it because it doesn't make any sense so far. And then they said a couple of lines that made no sense. So now the Ark of Infinity somehow coincides with Gallifrey. What does that mean? I don't know. Uh, yeah. What is it? Is it an energy wave? Is it? I don't know. It's at least the third time I've watched it. I have no fucking clue. No clue. If I just repeated it over and over, I, the Ark of Infinity. So there's an arc to the timeline of infinity, but if everything's infinite, then it doesn't mean anything because there can't be an arc if it's infinity. Okay, joking aside, do you know what it is? Does anyone know what it is? Does anyone know what the Ark of Infinity is? What anyone? is it? No. Nope. I think it's something to do with how Omega's managed to get from antimatter to positive matter, and he's using the Arc of Infinity to do it. Yeah. He's using the Arc of Infinity. Okay. But I'm fucking is that, guessing. Is that a mechanism? Is it a contraption? I, I had the impression, just, and it was nothing more than an impression, that we were dealing with an ancient natural phenomenon okay. that predated Time Lord civilization that allowed passage between mm-hmm. matter and antimatter back yeah, and forth. Clutching, mate. You're clutching me down. I know, I, I know, I know I am. Yeah. It's not explained. Awesome. Your clutching at that is like the most beautiful explanation you could hope for. Yeah. Weekly splashing a river of mediocrity as it flows past. <laughs> nobody cares. You mean like when he was sitting in the Matrix with Tegan and whatever, and he's like fake floating around. I could fake float better than those guys were fake floating. God, <laughs> I mean, it was just so bad. <laughs> I did like his helmet. Yeah, sure, whatever. But he had the seal of Omega on there. Yeah, yeah. on his chest, mm. and nobody noticed. Everybody, yeah. well, when the doctor saw it, wouldn't he just know immediately? I, it just didn't make sense to me. And then I, I'm not clear on how Omega goes from not controlling the Matrix to controlling the Matrix. I don't know. It flew by me. I I, I was just like, what? How? When? The four-eyed chicken... It was a total Come on, was he really any worse than the creatures that Omega conjured to defend himself in the Three Doctors? Don't you dare say a bad word against the gel guts. <laughs> I, I worship the Three Doctors. It is one of my top five as well. You know that. He could at least give them fucking legs so they don't shuffle around worse than a Dalek. The chicken could have been a gel guard. You know, it would have made perfect sense. Didn't, where did the fucking chicken even come from? I really don't have a direction with this. I... Neither did the episode. There's a couple of things here that three things I found redeeming. I'm not actually going to disagree with anything you haters said. Honestly, I'm not. It's Doctor Who in the 80s. It really is. Every episode is a matter of, does the good outweigh the obvious bad for us? And the funny thing is, for all of us, I think that scale tends to tip drastically in one direction or the other. I can't believe I enjoyed Modern Undead much more than I enjoyed an Amiga episode, though. There's something fundamentally wrong there, sure. There isn't 
something fundamentally wrong with that. When you look at a shitty 80s episode, anything Nicholas Courtney gets near is going to be an enjoyable evening. At least Mordred and Dead holds together. You can understand yeah. what the fuck is going on. There's, yeah. There's some, okay. You know? Yeah, fair enough. But first of all, what I want to say is be careful about how much you wish the plot holes had been fixed. Don't forget that the horrendous plot holes that existed on Gallifrey in this story enabled us to have 10 years of Gallifreyan roleplay in Second Life. Yeah. Because yeah. in many ways, these plot holes that were set up here, the uncertain role of the Castellan, why are they called counselors in this episode but were called cardinals before? Why uh, this? Why that? Yeah. We took all of that stuff and retconned the fuck out of it for over a decade and every moment we loved filling in these holes because you know the previous Gallifreyan episodes were really fairly tight mythology wise oh I watched Invasion of Time recently it is yeah. fucking I think beauty right yeah. without Arc of Infinity we really didn't have anywhere near enough leeway to expand on culture and politics we took this pile of shit and decided to spend 10 years digging around finding diamonds at the bottom of it. Yeah, but we did it in spite of it, not because of it. Yes, I think exactly. it was both. Honestly, what does this add to Gallifrey and law that we didn't have all? Okay, I'm so glad you asked that because yeah. that was actually <laughs> one of my <laughs> qualities. It really was. And maybe our perceptions when we watch these episodes are always influenced by what's going on. But you know, I watched this a couple of days after all of the absolutely political just turmoil and upheaval in the United States. Yeah, that could be at any time, though, to be fair, mate. Yeah, well, I was going to say the second week in January, you know, the whole, uh, wow, 2020 sucked and 2021 goes here, hold my beer. And I know that my view of this was jaded by what I've been watching in reality in the past week, but I stopped and I looked at the utter buffoonery that was the Time Lords in this episode. And I remember thinking when I was younger that they just ruined the Time Lords, that there's no way they could be that utterly and completely booberish and incompetent. And then the past week happened and I went, wait... And, and that actually, well, but, you know, first of all, I kind of laughed about it. And then I went, well, wait a minute. If you look at all the Gallifreyan episodes, which obviously took place over well over a thousand years, you know, going from the end of the second Doctor's life to really the last great entry we had into that mythology, which was the five Doctors. That's happening over the course of at least a millennium, assuming that what we see in the Doctor's life is real time to Gallifrey, according to the second law, it's supposed to be, you know, if a thousand years have passed on the Doctor's life and a should be a thousand years on Gallifrey. Mm -hmm. He's not supposed to travel outside of his own timeline. So what we have witnessed is the fall of a civilization. What we saw in the Three Doctors and the War Games was a strong, confident, competent, powerful civilization that got caught a little bit off guard in the Three Doctors. We saw a little bit of political strife going on there because they were presented with a situation that they were unfamiliar with. And and there's, there's logic in that in any civilization. In the Deadly Assassin, we saw this awe inspired just technological temple, but the beginnings of some very concerning things happening, where it looked like everyone in charge had no clue how that technology actually worked. A lot of history had been lost. That's echoed. A lot of Rassilon history had been lost. That's echoed throughout the program for a very long time. Yes, it is. And you can kind of see that the events of the three doctors, instead of leading to a renaissance of scientific rediscovery, seems to have led to political and community communicative suppression so that the strife that happened at the upper levels of government were completely covered up and buried and mired in excess 
tradition. So it seems like at the end of the three doctors, instead of Time Lords going, you know, we almost got caught with our pants down. They went, oh my God, let's let's have beautiful ceremonies and let's ramp up the glitz and the glamour and, and pretend that that ever happened. And then we get to Invasion of Time and... There's a beautiful bit in Invasion of Time where there's two Time Lords talking about fuck all in the foreground for about five minutes. Well, a couple right. of bits of shit happened in the background and that just says all you need to know about Time Lord society. Yeah, it, it was just downright scary how the mighty had fallen and what we saw at that point was that some of the other second zoner species in the universe had gotten wind and they were starting to smell blood in the water. Yeah. And when Arc of Infinity rolls around, I'm not even a little bit surprised at the level of incompetence of the Time Lords. It does not surprise me one bit that they don't recognize Omega, that this has been completely covered up, shoved away, and even the political leaders at that point don't understand the reality of what they're being faced with. Hello, 2020 here. Look at this gigantic crisis where a mighty culture with all of the resources to fix this immediately turned a deliberate, ignorant, blind eye to what was going on. This is the natural progression of a fallen civilization. This is exactly how we would expect post-invasion Time Lords to deal with the next crisis. Yeah, interesting. We are going to find the quickest, easiest, most public sacrificial lamb we can that will make us all look good and cover up everything we've done wrong to lead to this situation. The first two episodes of Arc of Infinity now make perfect sense to me. I thought the last two episodes were complete waste of my life that I will never get back. The resolution (laughs) to the story was utterly and completely useless. But the setup on Gallifrey, I now find completely believable. I think they went too far camping it. I thought the director made what appeared to be some just inexperienced juvenile mistakes by just sacrificing the acting to try and overplay a campiness and an incompetence that the story could have carried on its own. The director just wrecked the vibe of a fallen Gallifrey. To be fair, I don't think that story was there to carry it. Yeah. I feel that you are retconning some really bad writing. The story that you just told was so much more beautiful and interesting than what we watched. Yeah, and yeah, okay, fine. Uh, I'm looking at it through a different lens, but you know, what happened with the ultimate political betrayal in the next Time Lord story, the, The Five Doctors, kind of does play to that as well. I mean, eventually, they're just going to eat themselves apart from the inside. And then, of course, what happens after this is that the only other race in the universe that are capable of challenging them see that there's blood in the water, and they just take them. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, they were ripe for the pickings when the Daleks came along, which we don't know at what point in the Doctor's timeline in the history of the series the time war actually began. I mean, for all we know, it could have been going on during this. We really know, but... Technically Genesis. Right. Yeah, I mean, you're right. So that points to a very technologically aware and on-the-ball group of Time Lords. How could the CIA allow this to happen? Makes no fucking sense, just like every other part of the script. So I said that there was another redeeming quality. I find it very interesting that, to me, I thought Peter Davison in the first couple episodes was really pretty decent, in spite of the fact that he was written shit. And I like his doctor when there's one companion. I thought he was decent here. I thought he was great with just Turlow, in spite of the fact that I can't stand Turlow. I thought he was brilliant with just Perry. Perry only had two redeeming qualities, and neither of them had anything to do with her her acting. But 
Davison was strong, he all of a sudden turns into a leader and his body language changes, his demeanor changes, and look at how shit the doctor is every time there's three companions. Now, Hartnell's doctor was supposed to be shit. And I don't mean shit as in bad. I mean, he was not supposed to be the hero. Exactly. So he wasn't. And then Davison's doctor has three companions and he's terrible. And we <laughs> loathe the Whitaker era. And there's three companions right there. The mm. doctor never gets a chance to be the doctor. So I really did enjoy seeing Davison with one companion. I liked it. It's time for us to decide what we're going to do next. Um, shall we yes. uh, do the honorable thing and roll the wheel of who? Definitely. We should. We don't know what it was that killed them. But that man, he's been shot, murdered. Planet of the Giants. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Nice. Wait a minute. Is that is that like a Hartnell? We seem to be getting a couple of Hartnells coming up of late. We must be running out of Hartnells soon, actually. We've done quite a few over the years. One thing I forgot. How could I forget this? Arc of Infinity aired on my sixth birthday. Oh, Aww. wow. Yes. That's pretty cool. Congratulations. I don't, <laughs> don't know. Well, I thought well. episode one was really good, so that's okay. No, that's cool. That's cool. Okay, so I suppose we better do some quotes. Uh, Tabby, do you have anything? I do, relating to what we were saying uh, pertaining to the title. Of course, I've been so silly. Amsterdam is located on the curve of the arc, below sea level to maintain pressure for fusion conversion. That's the <laughs> best excuse for a stag do I've ever heard. <laughs> Um, okay, I'm going to go with. Um, actually, I'm going to go with a Maxwell. He's taking the doctor to be executioned. He goes, "I had my orders," and the doctor goes, "You don't have to relish them so much." <laughs> okay, well, I really wasn't that excited for quotes in this thing, so I'll just give you a really obvious one. You know how it is. You put things off for a day. Next thing you know, it's a hundred years later. That is a nice scene though, where they're doing a bit of TARDIS yeah. repairs. She goes on about, "Did this used to have temporal grace?" And he's like, <clears throat> "Yes, well, we got rid of that because it didn't suit the plot anymore." <clears throat> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Terry stole mine. Ah, she does that. God love her. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening to this whole shit. Thanks to our splendid irregulars who support us on Facebook and Twitter, Joe, Tim, Jennifer, Jeff, X, and all our other friends, you splendid nitpicking Hoovian bastards. Please, if you like this, pop over to iTunes or Spotify or wherever you listen and give us a thumbs up or leave a review. It all helps. Any last words, you lot? No, thank you. We have been the Dirty Hose Doctor Who podcast. Hope you are too. Say goodbye, everybody. Goodbye. You've been listening to the Dirty Hooers Doctor Who podcast. Follow us on iTunes or dirtyhooers.com. Facebook and Twitter at Dirty Hooers. See you next time. I'm supposed to Hello? walk around the TARDIS. Oh, Terry. Yes, Clem Fandango, we can hear you. I'm sorry. Uh, I dropped out again. Yeah, I did that college twice. <laughs> A lot of drugs in the 90s. Anyway, I'm, I'm re-watching All Creatures Great and Small. Oh, I should do that. Oh, could you do that? He is basically the same in that show. Still has that helpless... Slappable. <laughs> that, that helpless Tristan thing. Yeah, where you're just like... Come on, snap out of it. You're a fucking, you're how old? You're, fucking you know what's going on? Pathetic middle of the road. 
He's beautiful. Right. 